The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on air on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida, and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. For all those out there kind of forgotten, radio is a thing. If you'd like to call into the show and give us a piece of your valued opinion, give us a call at 850-644-3871. And if you happen to miss this week's show or any other future show, you can go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available right after the show ends wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, and man, did it feel good to get all that out of the way for the first time this semester, as I can say that we have officially kicked off a new season of Tomahawk Talk here at V89 Sports at WVFS Tallahassee. It's been a long time coming, and we have a great, great show for you and a ton to get to across the landscape of sports, and specifically right here in Tallahassee. But first, I can officially bring on, and it is my honor to officially bring on, my new co-host and permanent co-host, at least for the time being, Gabe Tisnes. Gabe, how you doing, buddy? Oh, man, it's, it's crazy. I honestly can't believe we're here, but you know, it, it is what it is. We're kind of getting back to normal somewhat. And man, it, it's, it's been an amazing first day. I get to go back to the station. I get to go to classes and see people. It's such a blessing. And man, does it feel good to be on this chair? I've been here at the station for three years and it's been a dream of mine to, to finally be here. So I'm going to make the most of it. And I'm going to have so much fun with you, Luke, especially because, you know, I'm a Saints fan and you're a Bucks fan. So that in itself will give us plenty of time. Fun. Oh, it'll be fun. Trust me. Yeah, I know we, we, had, we had one of our first meetings of the new year yesterday for, for all the leadership that are, that are here at V89. And I would like, I almost had to step back for a second because you said that it was legit your first time back in the studio since that, that March date, March, what, 18th, I want to say something like that was our, was our last, was our last meeting here in the station. Um, to talk, I mean, it's gotta be a huge change for you coming back in the booth like this after kind of being on the, on the cell and, and on zoom for most of last year. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows what it, what it was like for, for for everyone to go on Zoom University <laughs> for a whole year, and, and I have to call in every time to, to be on the show, and um, yeah, I remember one time uh, I was like about to play an IM Sports game, and I was like, well, let me call on the show before I go play, and that was just like so weird for me, because like I couldn't get in the in the mood of things or, or actually like focus on what I'm doing. Now that I'm here, I'm, I'm glad to be back, man. Absolutely. Well, Gabe, it, it is... Clearly, I've said it a couple of times now, but it is an honor to have you here. Especially, oh. I, I was I, we're we're in the same in the same year, but I was here a year before you, I think, at the station. And to so to see you kind of mold into into what you've become here at the station, it, it's truly an, an honor to see that. Um, thank you. Thank but you. we'll move on to the rest of my panel here. We're less cool tonight. than Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's not true. You guys are cool your own way because also joining me tonight on the panel is the five-tool player who's kind of been a godsend for this station over the summer, and that is Sebastian Angel Rihanna. Sebastian, how are you doing, bud? Now, I'm, you... I'm doing pretty good. I can see half of you from the other side of the server stack that we have here at the uh, behind the panel, so I'm, I'm a little, like, fucked away, but i still got a microphone, so you're still going to hear me, and I'm still going to annoy you. But, um, no, I've, I've had a pretty good uh, week so far. Uh, fun thing that I watched this weekend was the uh, 24-hour Le Mans. If you've watched uh, Ford versus Ferrari, that is Excellent the race. So good. Still going on. Uh, great race. Um, I tuned in especially to the first three hours, which were worth the price of admission because I was uh, streaming totally legally at a friend's place. I, uh, I, it was worth is the it price not of on admission. TV? 
Uh, no, it's on a Motor Trend. Oh. It's on. Um, I didn't watch. Like the. Yeah. I wish. Uh, next year. Next year. Next year. Um, next year is actually going to be pretty pretty hype because next year is going to be the second year of the hypercar uh, category. Uh, a lot of big names are, are moving into that space. Porsche is coming back. Uh, Porsche is coming back. Ferrari is coming back. Um, a bunch of other um, car manufacturers are in the works on seeing um, if they can get a hypercar out or at least a new category called LMDH. I'm overloading you guys with a, a bunch of uh, technical terms. Just know it was a great race. Um, the Toyota number seven car finally got the monkey off their back, finally claimed the race uh, for Toyota. Toyota's won for the past three years, but it's always been the number eight car. And the number seven car, even though it's a lucky number, has been pretty cursed. So they, um, Kami Kobayashi, a Japanese driver, it was a huge breakthrough for him. He's now part of history. The closest I think I've ever come to watching the 24 Hours at Le Mans is Ford versus Ferrari. We did a whole like, like, hour and a half Oscar preview podcast where we talked about not only Ford versus Ferrari, but Le Mans as well. And yeah, if you, if you haven't checked it out, come on Talk Radio Channel. It, it's literally, yeah, absolutely. You should check out that episode. Um, and, and the great thing about the 24 Hour is that at any hour of the day, um, over the weekend basically, it runs from around um, Sunday at 3 o'clock our time or Saturday from uh, 3 o'clock our time to around Sunday at 3 o'clock um, our time, um, a full 24 hours. So if you tune in at any point during that, you're going to see some racing. Um, like I said, the first three hours are great this year because it had just finished downpouring. It was still raining um, right at the beginning of the race, and it cleared up pretty uh, quickly. But there was a lot of spins, a lot of traffic, and a lot of um, mist that the cars kick up due to traction and since it's driving through the french countryside there's still a ton of trees everywhere so the trees hold on to that moisture and it eventually makes its way back down onto the track so conditions are pretty terrible for the first uh two or so hours before the track starts drying up awesome race super fun i mean if you're talking woods i guess you can say conditions were tough Conditions were tough out there well sebastian we thank you for being in the studio here with us tonight in a panel position I know that you sort of got in a big head what being in the co-host chair at once upon a time, and now you've been relegated to this. So I thank you for doing that. But Gabe, it is Gabe's time to shine in the in the co-host chair there. Not, yeah. And also joining us on the panel tonight is the revered, the always welcome back to the studio, former host and V89 alum legend, Brett Rutherford. Brett, how are you doing, buddy? Well, good. I think I've broken the record for most words spoken before being introduced. Um, <laughs> but yeah, really <laughs> glad to be back. Really happy to see you guys kind of take off. I told Gabe I... I kept the seat warm for him some Mondays out of the summer, but not every Monday. Uh, I'm glad that he's back, and uh, college football's back, too. What an excellent segue. (laughs) But before we get to that segue, I also, quick shout out to Scott Clemens. Scott Clemens is going to be our producer from here on out for the rest of the semester on the ones and twos. He's doing a phenomenal job back there, and I know he would much rather be back there than being in my co-host chair. Listen to me blab as we did the, the, the Bobby Bowden tribute show a couple a couple weeks ago like that i know he would rather be back there than than suffer through me so we appreciate you scott keep on doing your thing back there but as brett said college football is officially back this week there's perhaps no better way to start off the the new season of the show than shouting to the heavens that college football is back in our lives uh, after a year last year where it it was back college football was there but it did not feel like the college football that we know and love and, you know, you look at the schedule for week zero. I'll call it week zero, I guess. Um, it's a light, light schedule. You have Nebraska, Illinois, UConn at Fresno State, Hawaii at UCLA, UTEP at New Mexico State, and Southern Utah at San Jose State. Nothing really jumps off the page immediately. But when you take a deeper look, I think, 
you can find some interesting matchups and some interesting teams down the stretch there, especially with a team like UCLA. So first, just jumping off the bat, when you guys looked at the, the light schedule that we have for this upcoming week zero of college football, was there any matchup that you guys were, were looking forward to? Nebraska-Illinois. I think Nebraska has kind of uh, emerged as this really interesting program, uh, not only because, what, they're in year four of Scott Frost, but Scott Frost's name is in the headlines for a lot of other reasons right now, reasons not directly related to football. And so I, it sounds like he's not going to be suspended, or at least not at the start of this season. But that's still going to kind of be looming over, a, a dark cloud looming over that Nebraska program. Illinois got Brett Bielema in. Obviously, that's a Big Ten matchup. That's an exciting game to kick off the season. It's the first game of the season. Uh, but the only thing i got to say about this slate is that there's going to be a time a few short months from now where there's going to be no college football games on the slate. So enjoy the Yukons and Fresno State matchups. Enjoy this uh, Southern Utah and San Jose State at 10 o'clock on CBS Sports. Find a way to make the game more interesting for yourself, if you know what I mean. Uh, because <laughs> one day one day soon, college football won't be there again until August 2022. Yeah, I, when, I, when I wrote down, you know, as we were prepping for the show, I, I made a point to write that down, Brett, specifically targeted towards you. If you aren't a sporting lady or gent, out yeah. there, what can you look forward to with this light schedule? Gabe, when you took a look at what we have coming up this this next week, uh, was there a team or, or a player from this week's slate of games that that sort of jumped off the page to you at all? Oh man, it's just it's crazy that we have college football back. Hopefully, everyone can go in the stadiums, but either way, like we're gonna be able to see these teams go at it. And um, I'm personally just trying to watch everything as much as I can. I'm trying to you know we use week zero as my my kickoff starter for football because football is back. NFL, college football, you name it. And uh, we also have for pre- some preseason going. So uh, honestly, I'm 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 ready to see everyone get back at it. And uh, yeah, there, there's nothing that I'm gonna be trying to miss. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Sebastian. I am really eager to see. Finally, um, I know we're we're leaning into our bread and butter here, but I'm really eager to see um, the um, Norvell project finally come to maturity in a sense. Our expectations should always be tempered with this program because this temp uh, this program has had to fight an uphill battle from minute zero. Um, but I'm uh, I think this is the uh, first season that we really start making headway, um, or we really start seeing headway made um, at here at Florida State for the first time in a in a very long time. Um, I'm excited for that. I really just want to see um, the program grow. That's that's all. My those are my only expectations. Yeah. I'm, I'm not looking at any games in particular to say these are must-win games on the calendar. Obviously, the ones that you should win are the ones that you want to win. But for now, I just want to see growth. I just, I'm, I'm willing to be patient for, for a little longer unless things are really, really bad this season, which I don't think is going to be the case right now. And we, we can get for, further into Florida State football as they, they kick off in two weeks. We can get into that a little bit later down the show. But, Brett, I know with college football kicking off also comes the, the – inevitable conversation of, of, I guess, the inevitability of a, a future national champion. I, in my opinion, the last couple of years, I think there's been this sense of growing fatigue when it comes to the actual competitiveness of the sport. And I think the first couple of weeks are always a good... A good uh, barometer. Barometer. Good barometer, but also it's, it's the time that everyone starts to bring it up again. Like, what you know, when people make their predictions and they end up with the same four teams every single time. Um, it's kind of just an el- this elephant in the room that, you know, college football has a competitiveness problem. <laughs> yeah. So I, 
do you do you feel that same sentiment with with a lot of other people out there? I really don't feel fatigue. I I, I we I talked about this a little bit with the NBA when it was Cleveland and Golden State for how many straight years, or LeBron was making it to the finals every year for a decade. On one hand, I guess for for certain fans, yeah, I understand why they might, you know, grow grow tired of that. But at the same time, those are the best teams. And in the college football playoff, which is right now still a four-team playoff, and it sounds like it might stay that for a little bit longer with all this realignment talk, I want to see the four best teams. I don't want to see teams given a free pass. I want to see these teams that went 12-0, 11-1 in some of the toughest conferences in the league. Like With that being said, like I really think it's going to be Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. They're all but locks to make it in. Um, you can lose a game if you're one of those teams and still feel pretty comfortable about getting in. And then... Like, you even look at, and I know we say this every year, Notre Dame back out of the ACC this year, back on, a, you know, they're fully independent again this year. They're going to take a step back. They lost a lot of talent to the NFL. But it's not that hard to see them going 12-0, 11-1 and sneaking back into the playoff. It's going to be really tough. You know, you look at two teams in the SEC East, like Georgia and Florida. Are they going to, you know, kind of take bites out of the same apple and prevent one of them from advancing to the playoff? Oklahoma, can they do it out of the Big 12 again this year? That's going to be tough because, you know, there's going to be madness in the Big 12. They're going to drop a game to Oklahoma State or Texas or Texas Tech. That's just kind of what happens in that league. Um, but, it, um, yes, it would be nice to see some other schools. It would be nice to see your Florida States get back in the conversation, maybe some teams on the West Coast, your USC's. You know, it would be nice for that to happen. But at the same time, those top programs are at the top for a reason because they're really good football teams. If they're the ones left standing at the end, I, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, I, Brett, I think you make a really good point in that I don't have a problem seeing the, the four best teams compete for the national championship and be there in the end. But, Gabe, I'll, I'll ask you this question. Is it a, a lack of competitiveness at the very top of, of uh, all the conferences, or is it just an inability for other programs to get to that upper echelon of the elite teams in college football that's preventing a, a more diverse set of champions in the last couple of years. Yeah, no, I think it's the latter. I think it's the structure of the, the system. And it's kind of, you know, boring to say that, but it's kind of the reality of the matter. And when you when you look at other sports like soccer and what, what was going on with the Super League this past summer, we saw a lot of teams that were trying to escape competitiveness. And when we talk about realignment and, and all these possible scenarios in the future, there are teams that simply just want to have an easier shot for themselves instead of sticking around where they're at. And... That's because people just want money. People just want to succeed. They don't want to, like, <laughs> go for it. And, and I think there's a lot more to that. That's kind of simplifying it. But, yeah, I mean, like, it, it, I don't have an issue with Clemson and Alabama being at the top if they're the best teams, like Brett was saying. But at the same time, like, I don't want to see them every year. And I don't think we'll see them every year. I think these teams, they, they're just, like, having their, their, their cycle of, of, of glory. And eventually they'll they'll go back to, to where they were before because Clemson wasn't here always. Alabama will not be here always whenever Nick Saban retires. Um, so it's hard to say like, hey, hey, these teams are are not really like doing their best because they're they're competing against teams that they're not actually, you know, comp competition to say, you know what I'm saying. So. Yeah, I, I would just say, like... <laughs> college football cyclical, and like, it, even though it doesn't feel like it in the moment. I, I said this a couple weeks ago with, when, when Ryan Kelly was on a show in the 90s. Did people think that Florida State, Nebraska, Notre Dame were going to be in the positions they are now as programs? Uh -huh. It felt like they were going to be on top of the mountain forever back then. You know, you even look at Florida in the late 2000s. 
Uh, like, you think, look at these programs. How could they ever fail? Or how could they ever take a step back? It's going to happen. And I even think, we, we have no idea what the college football is going to landscape going to look like in 5, 10, 20, 50 years. But with this conference realignment, which is inevitable, you're going to see a consolidation of the – there's not going to be a power five, probably not in five years. Uh, and it's going to look way different 10, 20 years from now. That could lead to some parity. We won't know what the uh, format for the postseason is going to be, but it's not going to be a four-team playoff. That could lead to some parity, more teams getting their shot, more teams within the same conference, you know, playing each other in the regular season, knocking them, knocking other programs down. I don't know what college football is going to look like in five years, so I'm going to enjoy it the way it is now. And even if that means it's going to be Clemson and Alabama in the national title game again, so be it. Absolutely. Well, Brett, you, I, I thought you brought up a good point with the conference realignment, especially, you know, you talked about Oklahoma and Texas a couple minutes before and how they're looking to sort of make a power move towards the SEC and where that leaves every other team in that conference and every other team in other conferences sort of wanting to consolidate and, and, and kind of unionize in a way like right. that. Um, so, Sebastian, I asked you this question. Do you think when, when we're solving some of the problems that college football has, do you think that conference realignment and teams moving to join these super conferences, do you think that's more important to the development of college football as a whole? Or do you think something like uh, name, image, and likeness um, amendments could go a, a bit further towards uh, – making it a, a level or playing field. See, I feel like those are two separate issues, yeah. but at the same time, um, I do understand how they're connected. Um, ultimately, if you're, like, I think name, image, your name, your image, and your likeness as player uh, can get substantially more mileage eventually. And not right now, because we're still seeing, you know, um, guys sign with Kool-Aid, guys sign with Cheez-Its, uh, guys sign with Dr. Pepper, I guess. Um, I signed with Warchamp. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like these aren't these are these are sizable names, but they're not you know monoliths yet. And I think it's gonna get there. And um, ultimately, I'm I'm worried about you know the the Southern California schools, frankly, uh, or schools of that nature in that sense, where it's like, hey, do you want to get paid like really like LA money here and play at an LA school, get the whole um, Los Angeles experience? Um, see some of the prettiest girls you'll ever see in the country. Let, let, let's be honest, like that's a that's an ironclad recruitment pitch at that point. Some um, of those pitches you could also give here in Tallahassee. I'll just say that. I, I said there's no Venice Beach here. <laughs> like you got to go, to, you got to 20 minutes to the south to to get the St. Marks, and there ain't no Venice Beach. I'm afraid. Don't, don't sell alligator point short. Yeah, we've got like the uh, like uh, the woodlands pool. Like what's the... I feel like it's going to. My my point is is that we're not we haven't reached the apex of. Uh, NIL, and that is going to have a, a big pull eventually on how conferences align. And just real quick, I know you said those issues are different, NIL and conference realignment, but in some ways they are related because the, the train is already moving. College football is transforming right in front of us, and it's just a matter of who's getting on. That train is leaving the station. If you want to board, hop on. There's, we're going to see NIL. I don't think we're that far off. I, know, I, you know, I don't think so either. Like these things are salary, salary. player salaries, yeah. players unionizing. Um, the NCAA might not even exist at the football level within ten years. Um, so it's a matter of yeah, these issues are separate. They're going to develop separately, but at the same time, they're going to move hand in hand. I'm worried about player unionization. Let me let me make that clear in what I mean by that. And I don't think it'll develop fast enough um, to really take care of college the college football player base. 
um, I feel I'm, I'm worried that it's going to be an echoing of what the NFL really is, where it's kind of the NFL players union is just kind of like stumbles behind the league in the sense and the, um, the uh, group of owners that run the National Football League and are constantly behind in terms of what um, player needs really are because the lion's share of uh, football players are like three and out guys, basically. Three years in the league, and you're done. That's just the nature of the league. And, and sure, the big fish will pull in one direction, but those guys, the guys who are, who are getting league minimums, are the lion's share of the paychecks. Yeah. Well, you know, despite all the problems that, that people may have with college football, it is still football, and we all know and love it. So I ask you guys this kind of just off the top of your head. What de- – not developments, but what teams or players are you looking forward to seeing the most? Or what so what sort of developments across across the entire nation are you guys looking forward to the most, inside of, of Tallahassee or outside? Personally, USF. Uh, really, you know, they're going through year – we're going through year one of Mike Norvell, really. You know, call COVID year, year zero. USF with Jeff Scott, this is going to be year one for him. They've just got a new locker room. They're making progress on an on-campus practice facility a little bit further down the line, hopefully an on-campus stadium for that program. And I know that's probably uh, something I'm just a little more personally biased to growing mm-hmm. up in Tampa. Um, but I, I think it would be great for not only the state of football in the state of Florida, uh, but also their, their rivalry with USF, which at its peak was UCF. Was just, um, yeah, with oh, yeah. USF and UCF. Uh, it was, at its peak when they had Quentin Flowers at USF and UCF was – Going on their championship run was was really uh, you know one of the one of the better games that college football season maybe the best war on game. I four right yeah. uh, but I've been there when it's at its worst it's not fun at all there's like less than ten thousand people there on a Black Friday watching those two teams go at it so uh, kind of see if Jeff Scott is, is going to be the guy that can move USF in the right direction. Yeah. I mean football still football and I'm going to be focusing on Florida <laughs> State football because I I like to have a heart attack every Saturday <laughs> so. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, it's not patience and everything, but at the end of the day, like Mike Norville has to deliver the season. He needs to show some sort of promise, uh, some stability as well, because it's been a roller coaster for the last couple of years here at Tallahassee, and um, people just want some sort of hope. Uh, it's going to be really hard for him to keep his job, in my opinion, if there's not some sort of optimism going into year two, year three, whatever you want to call it. So, uh, yeah, I don't really see... Uh, any any other team that I'm going to be more more focused on than FSU football? Yeah, I, yeah, I think we just be, we'd be remiss if we didn't, you know, talk about college football and it starting back up, and we didn't have a conversation about the team that kind of you know pays the bills around here in Florida State, or at least used to pay the bills. You can make the argument now that that Florida State basketball kind of runs things around here, but that's just the state of affairs for Florida State's football program as they enter year two under Mike Norvell after a, a COVID wash. Kind of drop out of the drop out of college football completely season, not being able to finish finish the year because of COVID concerns. Well, if anything, I don't think spring and fall and every practice that they've had up to this point in year two under Mike Norvell have really uh, deterred anyone. I, I don't think that there are a whole lot of negatives that you can draw out of what we've been able to watch in practice as we we near get near and near to Notre Dame. But with especially with the continuation of, of kind of cutting off media with photos and videos, today they officially cut off all, all photos and videos of, of, of team practices. Yeah. Well, there was on the 24-7, I think it was 24-7, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but on their message boards, like there was like rumors of 
Mackenzie Milton in a boot. And, you know, like yeah. reporters, like the, the, anyone on the beat, if you go to practice, it's one of the stipulations is you do not report on injuries unless the, the coaching staff is, is, is reporting, is talk, telling the media about it. Even if you see a kid hurt his leg in practice, you just can't go tweet that. And that's, I think, common practice across the country. But that's one of the stipulations that Coach Norvell and his staff have in place here. But then we're seeing rumors of Mackenzie Milton being hurt. I saw it on Twitter. I saw it on message boards. Uh, so things are getting really dicey, especially with that starting quarterback uh, competition, quote-unquote, still in the air as we head towards the game. And, and, and make no mistake, there are, there are other positions that need way more than quarterback right now, like right. linebacker, yeah. like offensive line. They, they, are, they are very thin at those positions compared to quarterback. But that might be the most interesting sort of position battle and position on the field that they have. And just how Norvell, not, he hasn't hid them per se, but it's definitely been interesting to see how he's handled both Jordan Travis and Mackenzie uh, Milton as we get near to the to the, uh, the season there. Gabe, I want to get your opinion on it, um, just based on everything that, that they've covered with these two quarterbacks. How confident are you in, in Mackenzie Milton being able to go week one against Notre Dame? Man, that's, that's tough. I, I would like to say yes, <laughs> first and foremost, but that would be just me and my first gut reaction, but... We'll see. I mean, even if he doesn't go, then Jordan Travis will go, and the outcome will probably not be any different. So what are we losing, really? I mean, I, I think either quarterback will give you some sort of relative same percentage to win. So I think the quarterback competition has more to do with how the season's actually going to pan out because if you start one of them, then it's going to be really tough to go in the opposite direction um, once you, you see some, some, some red flags as the season goes on. But Mike Novell needs to, to show improvement in this team. Uh, it's a sinking, it's not a sinking ship by any means, but the, the ship has been stable for this whole past year in the sense that there's not been any, any craziness because people, people don't just want to write them off because then you're back at square zero or square negative one. And so uh, the quarterback competition is easily one of the most intriguing storylines. But the football team is still, still very much uh, to be decided and what it's, what its legacy is going to be? What what is this new era going to going to actually be? Yeah, I, I think Mike Norvell he he has an uphill battle in that. On one hand, I think we can all agree that this this current iteration of Florida State and this team that he's bringing in this year is not going to win nine, ten, eleven games. Probably not. On on a, on six or seven at, at base value, <laughs> exactly. It's it's more likely according to just about every projection system you find every every sports sport, book. every sports book in in the country. Have them pegged at six, seven, high eight. Like that. That's that's about as high as you'll really you'll high. ever see. So that's what he's he's staring down right now. But I think among Tallahassians, we kind of agree that that will work. Called yeah, Tallahassians. I've never um, heard. That. I'm okay with that. It's better than tampons. Well, they they were tampons and then they became tampanians. They changed it like in the mid 20s. Anyways, thank God. Tallahassee. I didn't know that. I'm now I'm official like Tallahassee You're resident. Tallahassee. I want to know what I should what you call them. yourself. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Take it from the local. Anyway, sorry. But as I was saying, <laughs> I think we can all agree that we're we're at least here we're not looking for for eight wins like that. We are looking for a much more consistent product on the field than we've seen the last couple of years when we've had like two coaching staffs at once with one coach out the door and another one coming in like that. It's just been hectic and you really can't draw anything or take anything away from that so Brett I want to ask you are, are you looking more at like how many like 
obviously the people that are paying the bills, they are looking at wins and they are looking at people packing the stands to, to see if it'll be a success or not this year. But for you, breaking down this team, what are you looking at that will be a productive season for Florida State that'll keep Mike Norvell here? I, I will. I mean, obviously, you're you're always going to look at the wins, right? And if they go 5-7, and seven, in my book, that's fine. If they go 4-8, and eight, eh, whatever. Okay, they probably had a misstep, maybe a couple close games that can go their way. But I, I, that's not going to be how I evaluate this team. It's going to be not really at the quarterback position either, but, uh, you know, significant improvement at the offensive line. The secondary, who they've recruited, and I know you can talk about these last few recruiting classes, even going back to the to the Taggart era, but still some some really athletic guys. You look at Akeem Dent, you look at Travis Jay, you look at Demory Tate. These are some ballers that now I think it's time for a lot of these guys to really put up or shut up, and they're going to get a really good test week one against Jack Cohn and that, that Notre Dame offense. Um, and it, that's the secondary, because I know there's there's other position groups, like the receiver group's going to be poor. The linebacker group's going to be poor. Defensive line, we'll see. The secondary, I have expectations for them, really more so than any other position group. Um, that's really what I'm going to be looking at. Uh, I've been a, a huge fan of Akeem Dent, even though he's had his fair share of criticism since he got on campus. Uh, but it's kind of a put-up-or-shut-up year for him and some of his other teammates in that secondary. Yeah. Well, certainly something to look forward to, and we are going to have a huge breakdown next week of that Notre Dame game as we get nearer and nearer to kickoff for Florida State football. We are going to take a quick break here on Tomahawk Talk as we near the 30-minute mark here. Um, coming up after the break, though, we will be take, breaking down everything NFL preseason because I know everyone loves to hear about NFL preseason news. So you are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. All right, we are back after a little longer break than we would have liked, but we are here on Tomahawk Talk, airing live on air on 89.7 FM and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm here with panelist Brett Rutherford, Sebastian Angel Rihanna, while Gabe takes a quick break. Uh, we just got done talking about FSU's upcoming season, and looking a little bit later, I mean, we still have three weeks to go for the NFL until the Bucks and, uh, and Cowboys kick off there. But some interesting, I mean, take it or leave it, it's NFL preseason news. But there are a lot of, of quarterback battles that have gone on in the last couple of weeks in preseason that have sort of caught my eye, at least, and I wanted to get you guys' opinion. Of, out of, you know, the main quarterback battles that we've had with, you know, San Francisco, Denver, New Orleans, New England, take your pick. Looking at it at face value, what kind of stands out to you? What quarterback battle are you most invested in for this upcoming season? I mean, personally, I'm most invested in the New Orleans Saints. One, because they're a division rival for the Bucks, but two, I think it's um, coaching malpractice if it's anybody other than Jameis Winston under center for New Orleans as the main quarterback. Now, again, um, you know, Taysom Hill is always going to factor in. But if you're going into an NFL football game or for, into an NFL season, really, because Hill started before for New Orleans, and Taysom Hill is supposed to be the guy, that is head coaching malpractice for Sean Payton. And the Bucks are the queer ploy favorites in the NFC South before a ball's been touched or thrown or kicked. Um, but like that's not the way you want to start going into your season. Even if Jameis Winston, and I'll admit, even if he's not a championship caliber quarterback, he gives that Saints team the best chance of getting back to the playoffs this year. Sebastian? So I, I I kind of grip my tooth here because the Saints were going to be my pick. Um, I'll pick another one in a moment, but I do really want to harp on that. Um, the, let's be honest, Brad. The only reason or the main reason that the Bucks are the the favorite for the for the South this year 
Super Bowl aside, which is a big thing to move keep aside. Yeah, keep everyone. And the fact that you have a functional football team, whereas everybody else is, is going through things right now. The, the Falcons are in the middle of a, of a clean sheet rebuild. They sold their souls by, by shipping off um, Julio. Julio Jones, thank you, um, ship to uh, Tennessee. Um, the QB battle rages on in New Orleans, and I'll, I'll touch on why it's still raging on in just a moment. And uh, the Panthers have Sam Darnold. But um, you've got Tom Brady under center in Tampa. I, I won't temper my, or I won't have any expectations for the team uh, right now. At least I won't give any. Uh, but I want to come back to the um, to the Saints. The reason why uh, I think one detail that we we commonly forget. The reason why there's a QB battle is because once um, once Breeze hung it up, uh, Peyton always would tell Hill that. Uh, he was the first guy that he was going to turn to once that position opened. So th- this is just a matter of a man giving uh, another man his word on him getting the starting position. That's why there's going to be a QB battle. Now, um, I know you, you say it's coaching malpractice to not have Jameis on their center, but you and I watched that man for three years. And this is not late. This is LASIK Jameis. This is, another, this is a whole new Jameis. Um, he did not have a stable, um, you know, structure uh, pretty much at any point there. Um, in Tampa, so I can't blame him too much for his shortcomings, but there's just some throws that you would make where it's like, man, he's dumb, dumb throws. Uh, he's not, he's he's a great college quarterback. Uh, he hasn't been, he's been high yield, high risk, high yield. Let's let's put it. I'm be, trying to be as nice as I can. But I'm guy. not making the argument that he's. A, I wouldn't even say a good NFL quarterback. I'm, I'm not saying that argument, but I'm not right now. He is leaps and bounds better. Over, over the length of the game and over the length of the season than Taysom Hill. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to agree with the Brett here. Listen, Brett talked about the Bucks being the favorites in the South on day one if Taysom Hill's name is starting. Listen, they're, they're the, the favorites heading into the season in the South if Jameis Winston is the quarterback. At least Jameis Winston gives you a chance to piece together some wins unlike Taysom Hill. I, I cannot see Taysom Hill being an actual NFL starting caliber quarterback for a full 17-game season. Yeah, season. yeah, no. Especially I, the way I, he plays. I definitely agree, but I want to temper people on what um, famous James can do when the bakery opens up in uh, New Orleans because that is a Band-Aid QB if I've ever seen one. That's like we have literally no option, other options. There's there's two ways to beat the Bucks. You either got to pressure the quarterback, which really, I mean, really nobody was was successful in doing last year against them, or you got to beat them over the top, like the Chiefs did in the regular season. Tyree Kill had one of the you know greatest quarters I've ever seen in an NFL game. I think the latter is the way you do it. Uh, you've got the quarterback that has mitigated pressure the best out of anybody in the past twenty years. And, and so you look at Jameis Winston, and yes, he's going to throw a couple picks, and you're going to need a lot of other things to go your way to be able to go toe to toe twice a year against the Bucks. But he's going to have those big explosive drives, those big explosive plays that do bring you back into games. Maybe he's the reason you're out of them for a little bit, but he can get you back into it. Where, I mean, if I'm Bruce Arians and I'm Tom, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks, and I'm going up against Taysom Hill, I mean, I, don't, I can't even set a spread for that game. I mean, that, like, that is an, an incredible mismatch. You look at. Levante David. We, we saw that Bucks defense grow in front of our eyes last year in the playoffs. Like, they will tear those teams apart. And they might do that with Jameis, too, because the Bucks are going to be really good. But if you want to go into a game with a chance, it's, it's got to be it's got to be. And, Sebastian, I've also, you touched on, on Sean Payton giving his word to Taysom Hill. Yeah, I think that started before they, they took a flaw on Jameis when, when Jameis left the Bucks. If, if Jameis Winston, who has shown upside to be 
a, a not a great starting quarterback in a the NFL, but a, good, quarterback. but a good starting quarterback in the NFL. If he lands in your lap for for a discount like they're they're paying him right now, you have to start him. It, it's I I don't think it's up for debate. I I wish Taysom Hill all the best, but he's not a starting quarterback in the NFL. I'm just I I pointed that out specifically because I want to I wanted to to our audience to kind of note that um, that you know for us here um, at Tomahawk Talk it's kind of a given that uh, Jameis will most likely be under center for all 17 games. And that feels weird saying in 17, but um, the reason why it's a conversation uh, apart from just straight up media buzz is the fact that um, you know in a saying it as uh, inelegantly as I can. Uh, Taysom Hill had dibs, essentially. That's just given a little context. I know it, it's it's not going to be the case. Um, if you're a Saints fan, I think you really don't want that to be the case. Um, you know, Taysom Hill has just been that, been a, a meme quarterback amongst meme quarterbacks, let's be honest. Yeah. I don't know. Real but, quarterbacks but, don't, yeah. don't get listed as a tight end for fantasy. That's for damn sure. Yeah. But another, I mean, aside from New Orleans, there's some, some interesting quarterback developments that have happened as soon as earliest or as late as today with Cam Newton going on the, the sort of patchwork five-day COVID list and, and being out of practice for a couple of days as he sort of battles with, to hold off Mac Jones there. How early do you think it is, if at all, that we see Mac Jones this year for, for the Patriots? I think it could be as early as week one. It'll definitely be at some point this season. I think the Patriots and, and Cam Newton are going to have to come to terms with Okay, maybe Cam can have success elsewhere in the NFL, but right now he's not going to be the next guy for the Patriots. I think they drafted the guy. They want to be the quarterback that brings them into this. I don't even want to call it a new era of Patriots football because I think the Patriots are going to be really good next year. They're getting back, or this year, they're bringing back a lot of starters that opted out or were injured last year. Um, so if you want a guy, again, Mac Jones is a rookie, and there's only, you, know, you can only be so good as a rookie, but there is going to have to be a transition. And seeing what we're seeing, they're both playing really well in the preseason now. Cam going on this COVID aisle is going to be a step back. Uh, I think Jones, what I've seen out of him and, and the reasons they drafted him, really point to him becoming the guy sooner sooner rather than later. Yeah, Gabe now joined us back in the booth after a, a little bit of time off. We're talking about Cam Newton versus Mac Jones here and, and just how much Cam Newton can hold off Mac Jones, especially with him dealing with uh, other bouts of COVID like that. Uh, what's your just your initial read on how the, they both looked during the preseason, and, and what are the promises that that Mac Jones could be the starting quarterback in New England? I think we need to go back to Alabama, where Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones, and uh, Tua were all in the same quarterback room, and that you know that tells you a lot about how good these quarterbacks are being bred uh, down in Alabama. And I mean, obviously Tua has struggled a little bit, and, and we don't know about Jalen Hurts completely, but Mac Jones has shown some some flashes in the preseason. And I think the real question here is, what are the Patriots opting for in this season? They have a shot to make the playoffs and make an, uh, a dark horse run of the Super Bowl. Uh, you never know with Bill Belichick, but I think Mac Jones is the future. I don't think he's the, the present, and I don't think Cam Newton's going to offer you uh, uh, that whatever whatever it is that the Patriots need at the moment. But the Patriots team at the moment is built with Cam Newton, not with Mac Jones. They don't have that many weapons. They're built for the running game with with Cam Newton being their power runner from the quarterback position. And, I mean, Bill Belichick will be will be the deciding factor. And we I think we can all say that we trust him. But at the same time, without Tom Brady, he's not shown himself to be 
the same coach that we that we've known him to be, and I'm not trying to doubt him, but uh, I think the Patriots have a lot of potential this season to grow and get back to the winning ways, uh, and the quarterback decision will be a big factor in that. So it's definitely something to look out for. Yeah. Well, moving from one AFC East team in the Patriots to their 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 rivals in the Jets, who were just hit with possibly just the worst weekend you could possibly have, especially in today's preseason where you hold out so many people in order to kind of stave off injuries. They lose Carl Lawson, their huge free agent get in the offseason, the pass rusher, and they also lose their middle linebacker in Gerard Davis. He's going to be out for, for an extended period of time. But the good news is that Zach Wilson appears to be better than advertised. He was phenomenal against – they went 9 of 11 for a couple hundred against the Packers in the preseason. Um, and so that gets me to a conversation about rookie quarterbacks and who's kind of stood out among the rookie quarterbacks in the league that, that have caught your eye, Sebastian. Rookie quarterbacks this year? Oh, man. I don't know yet. Uh, you can – I don't really – I only have a, a a guy that I'm like, okay, this dude lights out during preseason. Um, it's just a, a bit of – some more growth, just that we've seen. I don't know. I, I don't really have anybody that, that really, like, this man is ready. This man is built for this. Which I think is really important to keep tempering expectations for rookie quarterbacks. It's something that a lot of – you know, if you get a rookie quarterback that you drafted high in the first round on your team, it's really easy to be like, we're ready to go to the next step. Um but Trevor Lawrence is going to be ready. You know, he's not going to light the world on fire his first year, at least I don't think. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to be ready. Justin Fields, another guy that I'm that I'm really looking forward to see playing in Chicago. Don't know what his role is going to be at the start of the season. Um, but a guy that's looked good in preseason. I think he's going to be good enough for the NFL. And Zach Wilson's interesting. I don't know. I The Jets could shock some people this year. They're a higher upside team. I don't think they're going to be, you know, you know sniffing the playoffs, but... They're definitely not going to be, you know, towards the bottom of the, or towards the top of the draft next season, if you get what I mean. Um, but I think I think Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence are the two guys I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching in the regular season when it comes around. If anything, it's the it's the sophomores that really are the ones where I'm like, okay, these guys were great last year, um, and they're they're on the up and up. For me, it's, I mean, I just want to see Justin Herbert again. That that man makes me excited to to watch him. <laughs> Uh, I haven't set up a, any sort of fantasy team yet this year. Okay, that's strike two for me. That reset the counter. It's been zero days since I last uh, <laughs> talked about fantasy. But if I was gonna pick a pick a young guy, I'd pick him. He 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 made magic in, in uh, the Chargers organization of all places. Imagine playing lights out. Uh, I mean, we just got done with Philip Rivers, but I I wasn't expecting that in the slightest. Tua apparently has having a much better preseason. He's played. Uh, he's played pretty well um, for the Dolphins fans out there. And I, I honestly think that those two are the two to watch if I had to pick anybody out of the preseason specifically, um, just because like I, I am, I'm riding high on Justin Herbert for this year I'm, again. I'm not as high on the quarterbacks as a class, but I think there's definitely still some excitement uh, for this season to to showcase who's the guy that's going to take the lead. Um, you have Zach Wilson, kind of a wild card, wild card, in in New York, uh, obviously with the Jets, that's always uh, one of the biggest obstacles in the NFL to, to to overcome. But I think Justin Fields and Trey Lance have really good opportunities to showcase why they were picked in the first round. Trey Lance comes in uh, as a shocker. Uh, I think he was the, the third overall pick or something. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, I mean, you look at what they did with Colin Kaepernick and how they just plugged him in in the middle of the season. And by, by, by no means are they the same player, but they both have wheels. They both have an arm. And they both came in in a, in a situation where the team was already built enough so that they could go to the playoffs. So if Trey Lance makes the right improvements in his game during the offseason, and I mean, he's got Kyle Shanahan calling plays for him. And a lot of people will say, well, Jimmy G's still there. There's a lot of there's a lot of expectations on Jimmy G, but overall his health will always be the number one thing that we have to look out for him with him. And with his cap casualty, it, it wouldn't be a surprise for me to, to see him get out of San Francisco. Yeah. The the one thing that separates, you know, the battle going on between Jimmy G and, and Trey Lance is that if Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy, I think the 49ers can still win the Super Bowl. He has proven yeah. to be a, a Super Bowl caliber quarterback in that offense that Kyle Shanahan has constructed, Brett. So I, I, I know you're kind of passionate about this and how, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, whether he remains in San Francisco or not. I think the, the 49ers will be Super Bowl contenders no matter who's under center. Like, they're one of those teams that's built well enough to – you don't need the, the quarterback that takes you to the next level. And I think I think the Bucks are the same way. Tom Brady was amazing last year, don't get me wrong, but he's still a year older. And he wasn't grabbing games by the scruff of the neck this past season, but he helped a lot. But look at the, the rest of the Bucks pieces. I feel very similar about that 49ers team. And, yeah, it might be San Francisco, Tampa Bay, NFC Championship uh, collision course. Yeah, certainly something to look for. The last, the last thing I want to touch on in the NFL is that Roger Goodell, he came he came out and he he backed the Bills staying in Buffalo. That seemed kind of obvious. There, there's no way that the Bills are moving away from Buffalo, right? Man who works for uh, the ownership group sides with ownership group uh, when disputing with re, um, or local authorities. I'm literally not surprised. This is literally him saying, yes, I agree with my bosses. My bosses are correct. You should work with my bosses uh, and give the money to build a stadium. Yeah, I, uh, I don't blame him for that. Again, like you said, I, I don't think job. there's anything to blame. That's literally his job. Yeah. But these relocation stories, they happen a lot more than I think we realize. You know, there's always going to be this posturing to try to get money because, you know, billionaire owners don't like to pay for the stadiums all by their own. You know, they, they're going to they're always search for public money. That's how you say billionaire. Well, yeah. We've seen it happen in multiple sports. In these situations, almost never, you almost, most teams almost never get a new stadium without some sort of story about potential relocation. Like, except for maybe like the Atlanta Braves. Seems like they just got the money put their stadium up but most most franchises most organizations you're going to get stories like this whenever there there's t- it's time for a new stadium they can't do that to bill's mafia can they they won't no, uh, they won't they, they somebody's gonna somebody's gonna break I'm, I'm i have a feeling that it's gonna be the city first unfortunately uh personally I, i'm gonna show my biases here i really it really grinds my gears when you see um taxpayer money go to build stadiums for literal billionaires i'm not big on um political messaging here on the show, um, but that is one thing that really does grind my gears personally. You think that billionaires should pay for their own stadiums? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I mean, style. I, I'm, absolutely. I mean, it, personally, I mean, you, everybody here, say for Dave, um, has pretty much for their entire lives seen um, one of their local teams basically be under threat of moving because the... Um, the owner wants uh, the one region or one city, doesn't matter. Like he can have his cake and eat it, basically, um, to cough up the dough for a, a shiny new stadium. And um, 
it really just gives you like a, a feeling of just get stuff. If, if you're going to leave, then quit peacocking and get out. Or if, if not, then, you know, it, it's, it's annoying. It's really, it's really just annoying. Um, that being said, that there are new, there is nuance uh, to these stories. I mean, the Oakland story is a lot different than this one. That's for sure. Yeah. Where it's just, can you renovate the area uh, so we can invest several billion dollars into it? And you know, the city council in Oakland is just like, oh well, we don't, we don't know actually. We're we're like maybe a privately funded stadium, which other people would kill for in cold blood for, and other re- uh, and other markets like, I don't know. Yeah. Well. We'll move on from a little bit of NFL and billionaire talk there. Yeah. And we'll kind of wrap up the last final minutes of the show with, with some MLB talk. Because we're, you know, mid-August now. Uh, and yet only one division seems to be undecided. I don't want to rule out any other divisions because we still got a month and a half left to play. But the largest, or sorry, the smallest lead for division leader right now is the top two teams in baseball in the San Francisco Giants and the Los Angeles Dodgers. With the San Francisco Giants holding a two and a half game lead over the Dodgers now, as the Dodgers have made strides, they've gone nine and one in their last ten, what have you. And that's not to say that San Francisco's been playing bad baseball at all, which leads me to ask Brett here: Are the Dodgers just this lurking giant with their with the way that their run differential is, and the way that they've sort of underperformed midway through the season? Are, are we just delaying the inevitable and in, in the Dodgers winning the division? The short answer is is yes. I, mean, I still I still think the Dodgers are going to win that division. They got to you know a game and a half. Now it's two and a half games after last night's results, uh, but they're starting to get healthy. They're starting to get more consistency in their lineup. Um, they're still getting just amazing performances from guys like Max Muncy. Trey Turner just fits seamlessly into that team. Um, he's he's been incredible. You have him and Corey Seager up the middle. Just a, a great lineup. Uh, but then you you know you look at that pitching staff and Walker Buehler is just having an incredible year and they added Cy Young. Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I think Walker Buehler right now is the front runner for NL Cy Young. It, I mean, I kind of ruled out Degrom at this point. Did did they not come out and say that he's shut down for the season? I, have, I haven't seen that officially, but I, I mean, it, he's not going to pitch enough to win the Cy Young. Exactly. But when you've got other guys having really incredible seasons, exactly. he might get a first place vote from some guy that really likes Degrom, but he's not going to have enough to win it. And you look at, like, they're doing things. The Dodgers and the Rays, I've said this a lot, they run very similarly. And for someone that follows and covers the Rays, they seem to just, whoever they pick up is there to contribute and usually does it really well. Albert Pujols went to a team without a designated hitter and has become a true platoon, and he's actually a positive player for the Dodgers. He is producing. He's been a negative player for a few years now with the Angels when they could even you know, use him as a DH. The Dodgers know how to use him. They're using him right. He's helping in the clubhouse. He's producing runs for the team. You know, guys at the Razor DFA and the Dodgers are like, okay, we'll take him. We'll take a shot on him now. We've got an open spot on our 40-man roster. They just picked up Evan Phillips. Picked up Yoshi Tsutsugo. Who's now with Pittsburgh and hit a home run with Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. I'm rooting for, you know, for Yoshi. Um, they've, they've got Naftali Feliz. I didn't even realize that. Who was with the Phillies earlier this year. Must have got caught. They uh, caught Shane Green. And they picked him up, Shane Green. Like, and those are guys that, like, they all pitched yesterday for them. These are not guys that are just here to fill space. They find these guys that they think can contribute to their team and add them. And, and they're still maybe the only team that could get the best out of them in the playoffs is either the Giants or the Brewers. Um, although the Braves are red hot right now, too. 
but they're still going to win that division. They're going to the the level that they're playing at right now. Obviously, they're not going to win nine out of ten for the rest of the year, but they're going to stay this hot uh, through the regular season. And I don't know if San Francisco can keep up with that pace. Yeah, I I, I don't know. If you had asked me a couple weeks ago who I thought was going to win, I would say the the Dodgers would catch them just because of how many times that San Francisco has to play some tough teams like the Padres down the stretch in September. But that leads me to my next discussion, which is the the faltering of the Padres, just absolutely whittling away their second wildcard spot as they are now, I believe, two games, one game out from the Reds for that second wildcard spot, Sebastian. Uh, I can't believe we're having this discussion after after all the conversations we've had over the summer about who's the team to beat in the National League, the Dodgers or the Padres. Did you ever think we would get to this point where the Padres are on the outside looking in? Unfortunately, that's just the reality of this year. Um, I think nobody expected uh, San Francisco to be this good because, you know, San Francisco is still, you know, um, kind of cleaning house of the last of the old geezers that they have in that rotation. But ultimately... If there was a if there was a if there was a point for that team to fall off, like truly fall off, so that the uh, the Dodgers would finally eclipse them, I think it would have been this month, and that that hasn't been the case. Um, we have a very similar story in um, the AL East, where the uh, the Boston Red Sox supposedly were overperforming, you know, going toe to toe and keeping pace with the Rays, who were the pennant winners last year, um, when they really had had no business in doing so, and finally, finally, about two weeks ago, they finally got gassed. And they finally got swallowed up by by New York, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I if I honestly think we should have expected a very similar story in the NL West, but that didn't happen. So I don't th- I don't I just don't think at this point it's like a matter of staying hot. I think it's just a, a matter of maintaining the consistency that that's expected in the NL West. Um, once you once you kind of recognize San Francisco is here to stay in that sense, then it then it makes it pretty clear why uh, San Diego has kind of fallen up. It's just a matter of th- this is the one of the most one of the hardest divisions in the league. It's probably the second most uh, competitive one in the league, save for maybe the AL West and definitely the AL East, um, where it, it's you know uh, Toronto is just a great example of that as well. Where it's it's a team that's in any other division, you, you stick any of those two teams in the uh, in either of the Centrals, they rule that that division with an iron fist. But the reality is, is that they're in an insanely competitive uh, division. That's un- that's one of the unfortunate realities of baseball. The wild card is supposed to alleviate that. But guess where the two wild cards are in the AL? They're in the East, um, and that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. Well, we shall certainly see what transpires down this stretch. Of course, we're going to be keep on covering that here on the show. But as we sort of wrap up, I just want to thank thank everyone here, really, Brett, Sebastian, Gabe. Thank you for being on for my my. First show of the new season. I know I've been doing this for a couple weeks now, a couple months actually. But to to finally kick off Tomahawk Talk during this school semester back here on campus is something really special that I don't take for granted whatsoever. And so I'm really, really excited to, to keep on doing this throughout the semester to bring you guys all, all the Florida State coverage and sports coverage that you guys uh, love to hear. Um, so I think I think that's about it. Do you guys have anything else to say? We're back, baby. College football's back. We're back. College football is back. Florida State football will be back in two weeks. And uh, make sure to go, you know, look us up on Spotify, the the podcast. Subscribe to it. Like it up. Follow us on all of our socials, Tomahawk Talk, wherever you you browse on social media. 
And um, we will see you next time. So for myself, Luke Hazen, this has been Tomahawk Talk here on WBFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.